comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. This is out now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is Abe. Hola. Out now is a film podcast, which has Abe and I discussing new movies weekly. We also bring in a little discussion about the latest movie trailers, box office results, and predictions. A retro review that has to do with the main feature of the week, games, and other fun stuff. This is once again another bonus episode. However, uh, we've been doing a number of holiday bonus episodes, and this is going to be our special top ten of 2011 bonus episode. Oh yeah, we. Uh, Abe, are you excited Explosion for this? Explosion sound right now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna count down our top ten films of 2011, and joining Abe and I to do that is a couple guests. You may know them. We have uh, from things I know about the movies, movie Smackdown, and boy with the Snoopy tattoo, Adam Gentry. <laughs> yo yo yo, homeboys. And from fast film reviews, and the one person I would never want to ride in a submarine with, Mark Hoban. Bonjour, mon ami. Uh, that was a nice one, Aaron. <laughs> the little uh, finger is, is popped out. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're going to do our top ten list. I got the guys here. We're going to count them down. I also got uh, Alan Aguilera's top ten list. He's not going to be able to join us tonight, but I'll count down his films for him. And um, yeah, we uh, this is this is it before we you know kind of get back into... Yeah, well, you know, there's still other bonus episodes we've kind of recorded but haven't posted yet. So, you know, we don't know when our real when our real episode's gonna a real regular episode's gonna come back. But until then, we're enjoying these bonus ones. So, with all that said, let's do a few announcements before we just go straight into the top ten. Um, iTunes reviews. It is fun to get, you know, reviews and ratings. Very simple to do. If you guys anyone out there feels like just giving us a simple rating or review on iTunes, we you know, we welcome it. And um yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, we still have more bonus episodes that are probably coming. There's another one for the Walking Dead TV podcast, our sister podcast on the HHWLOD network. That's going to be coming soon as well, so that should be fun. But uh, yeah, until then, let's let's do what we're doing right now, and uh, yeah, let's just get right into our let's jump right into our top ten. I'll just let I'll, I'll, I'm going to read Alan's number ten just to start it off. Fifty Fifty is his number ten movie of 2011. Good movie. I like it. Solid. Solid. Yeah. yeah. Mark, how about you start us off here? Number 10. My number 10 film was Insidious. Insidious? Nice. Oof, I will uh, never watch film. that movie again. Because it scared you too much? Yeah, I'm not a big fan of, like, you know, just chilling out in the mirror and then brushing my teeth and thinking about that movie and just having to look down. <laughs> Do you always chill out with a mirror around? Do I all chill out? No, no, no. You're but... Like, you're, De- you're Denny's and you're like, hang on, I need a mirror. Hang on. <laughs> mirror, mirror. <laughs> Yeah, Insidious is a movie that I really enjoyed and was happy to kind of champion when it was coming out because it it, it was really good and it it for being such a very a very cheap movie, incredibly incredibly inexpensive movie, it became a huge success. And in terms of kind of based on its budget versus what it made, it was one of the bigger successes of the year. So I was really happy to see that happen for that film. Adam, why don't you go if you're a? Oh yeah, hold on. 
dude, dude, Adams, he he didn't quite want to. He didn't quite have a top ten list. Well, to let, let, let me t- let me. Do you want to? Why don't you take it over? The, the thing is, the thing is, due to a myriad of, of reasons, both personal and professional, I wasn't able to see everything that I I really would have liked to see to put together a totally proper top ten list. And I'm one of those guys that, you know, I'm much more comfortable doing a best of than a top ten. For example, I mean, if I've got only nine films that I feel really good about, I'm not going to put an extra movie in there just to fill a slot. So my list as of right now contains seven films. In the next couple of weeks, I hope to be watching some more before I publish my written list. But right now I've got got seven films. Well so said. I'm just going to sit here and look pretty. <laughs> Sound pretty, too. You don't have a, you don't have a, a ten spot either, Abe? Oh, no, no, no. Don't. I'd have to. I'd have to cite some some good movies, but I would have to say that there were just a few that I was like, yeah, these are quality films that I think about a lot. All right. <laughs> so maybe you, Aaron. I, I will go. Uh, my number ten is The Muppets. Uh, the Muppets was the movie that gave me the most smiles this year. I absolutely just had tons and tons of fun watching The Muppets and the songs and. The humor, the self-refer, the self-aware humor, just the, the, every everything about this movie just made me completely happy to be in a theater watching it. And yeah, I just I really love the Muppets. So that's my number ten movie. And that's an excellent choice. I was shocked, I was surprised that movie didn't do better box office. I really yeah. thought it was going to kill, given my incredibly overblown prediction. But the the original Muppet movie actually was one of the top ten box office hits of that year, nineteen seventy nine. And I, I, didn't, I didn't expect this to be that big of a hit, but I, I did expect it to, to, to do more than it actually did. It was timed so beautifully over Thanksgiving, I thought it was going to kill. And it did really well, I just I thought it was going to be better. Yeah, yeah, it's unfortunate, but I'd like to think that time will tell. And it should have, I thought it would have at least broken $100 million and, it, and it did not. It actually fell quite short of that. So that was, that's where I would have felt if it had reached that plateau... I would have been happy. Mark, yeah. what's your uh, number nine movie? Okay, so my number nine is Young Adult with uh, Charlize Theron and Patton Oswalt. And uh, I just, I loved, I loved Charlize Theron in this film, and I loved Patton Oswalt. I thought the performances were extraordinary, and I thought that uh, Charlize Theron played this character that was so, I mean, physically beautiful on the outside and so just ugly on the inside and I thought it actually took a lot of guts to play that part it was a very dark comedy it's not a if you walk in there thinking um, that you're going to just sort of laugh and it's going to be a carefree kind of comedy you'll be disappointed and I know that Young Adult has kind of been a somewhat polarizing um, movie for people but I really really enjoyed it and it kind of had the sort of same sort of negative comedy feeling I don't know if anybody of you have ever seen the movie Chuck and Buck yeah. But it had that kind of awkward, like embarrassing, um, sort of field scenes that you almost want to look away. That it's so hard to watch. It's that cringe humor. Yeah. Cringing, yeah. That's a yeah. I I enjoyed Young Adult. I didn't love it like Mark as much as Mark did, but I thought yeah, the performances especially were quite good. Patton Oswalt's very good in that movie. Charlize Theron, she's a great actress. She's she's and she's very good in this movie to portray this kind of character who's. Like um, she, I, I would go to say she's more unlikable at the end of the movie than she starts the movie, which is something that's very non-traditional in a, in a movie like this. But yeah, I, I did, I did like that movie. But I, I still, I kind of put it because I really like Jason Reitman as a filmmaker. I think he's he's made he's basically four for four with me. But I'd still kind of put Young Adult towards the bottom of that four, opposed to higher up like Up in the Air and Juno and I, I'd like 
I'd like to see Charlize Theron get an Academy Award nomination. I don't think she will get one because I think the character is just too unlikable and it's a little bit, it's the movie is not, it's kind of a prickly movie. So I, I don't think it's not, you know, we've got Michelle Williams playing Marilyn Monroe and we've got Viola Davis and the help, which are very easy to like those performances. So those are probably the people that are going to get nominated. But I think Charlize Theron would be, you know, definitely worthy of being in that company. I, uh, I, th- I think she, I think she will probably make it in there, honestly. And it's not a, there are some key performances and some that'll most likely win, but um, I think she'll be able to be in within the five nominees that are. What about the uh, the script? I mean, given that Cody just won an Academy Award a few years ago, do you think she has a shot of another nomination here? Not with the amount of, there. I think there are there are enough movies that are very good for Oscar contention this year that are going to kind of outweigh Young Adult, I'd imagine. Mm. Okay, my number nine is Another Earth. Um, this is a movie that I managed to catch just randomly. I popped in, I had to review the Blu-ray for Lysa Blue, and I was just really into this movie. This was also the day after I watched Melancholy. So for some reason, I was just in the right mood to watch like <laughs> existential sci-fi dramas. But it completely worked for me. I really enjoyed this movie a lot. It, it, it had just, it had really, it had neat questions. It, it, it was, uh, from, from watching the trailer, I got a different movie than I was expecting. I, I was... I felt I was going to be kind of like, all right, I, I see what this is doing. But no, I was just really surprised at how into the movie I was and how it played with the concept, how it didn't like go. Re- it has like a side, the sci-fi element of having a duplicate earth being very close to our earth, but it didn't really, it didn't have that overshadow what were, what was actually a, a quite interesting kind of dramatic love story of sorts, which I just really got into when I was watching this movie. I really liked the performances. I liked that it was a very low-budget movie, but it somehow it made the best of what it had to work with, and it did it well. I, I, it was also very good-looking. It was well shot for kind of an, an independent movie. So that is my number nine film. I liked Another Earth also. I, I didn't, um, wasn't quite as taken with it as much as you were, Aaron, but... Um, but I, I thought it was interesting, and I did. I did admire the low budgetness of it and what they were um, able to accomplish. And I, I did like the moments um, with uh, Rhoda was the the woman, the main woman, and then her relationship to the stranger. Um, that's whose existence is forever changed by her. Mm-hmm. I thought their moments together were very affecting. Yeah. So I, I, I did. I did enjoy that part of it. The pacing is very lethargic, though. I mean, it's it's kind of a dreary movie. I thought a little dark and kind of somber in tone, but um, but but nicely acted. Um, Alan's number number nine movie was Mission Impossible Four: Ghost Protocol. Cool. Just a, yeah. yeah, I like that film. Good movies. That was incredibly entertaining. Solid action. Really, really solid. I saw that a second time as well in IMAX again because that's the only way to see it. But. Uh, <laughs> Look it's, at you. That that movie's just a great it's a great ride. It's that's has some great stuff in it. Well Mark, what's your number eight? So my number eight was my favorite animated film of the year, Rango. And uh what I loved about it was just sort of the sort of adultness of it all. It had a it had a on one level like I think a child could understand it, but there was sort of a subversiveness to the humor and it was it was very well written. And there's a lot of in-jokes, and anybody, well, obviously everybody here is a big film fan. I think any film fan would enjoy this movie because it's got a lot of, like, 
references to classic westerns and it's just got a really kind of intelligent way about it and i i, I laughed i i laughed harder in this film probably well i left as hard as i did um as as a couple other films this year but but I, for a cartoon to make me laugh as as hard as it did i i gotta give it like extra points alan's number eight film was also rango Ooh. that in there so it's a good movie overlap already at, at the same level too wow mm. my uh, number eight film was hannah this was uh this is our fourth episode Abe, or maybe even our third episode uh, really early earlier really, yeah and um yeah, Hannah, I love that movie. It was tons of fun to watch. It had this, it had such a, a cool, it, it was, it was, it had such a cool way of being made. It's a, it has, um, Saoirse Ronan as this, like, little girl who's been raised to be a perfect assassin, and the way scenes are constructed in this film are incredibly well put together. Joe Wright's direction in this movie was fantastic, and it also leads to other, like, great scenes involving Eric Bana, who co-stars in this movie as another badass and I just want Eric Bana to be in more things just because he can still be so badass and it's unfortunate that he hasn't been able to be as bigger of a star that he has but um regardless Hannah it's this really it's a very it's kind of simplistic in terms of it's just you know it's another kind of perfect assassin discovers who she is kind of thing but it has like these weird undercurrents of like fairy tale storytelling going on there's this really amazing score by the Chemical Brothers, which is one of the scores yes. I've listened to the most this year. Like it's, there uh, were some, there were several really good um, soundtracks this year. Oh yeah, and we'll probably get to a couple of them in our other uh, picks. But I agree with you. I thought the soundtrack to this film was was just wonderful. I think we're at number sevens now, so we can have some participation. Hello, Adam. How about you go here? Um, my number seven is kind of the winner of the jury prize this year for me i after i saw the film i wasn't really thinking it was going to figure prominently on my list but then i it really lingered with me and it kind of stuck with me i don't think it's a perfect film i think it has some flaws and whatnot but it really lingered with me and just i I felt it um and that was uh lars von trier's melancholia it i mean it's such an odd little film because there are some the opening sequence, for example, it's extremely classical and very formally constructed. And then throughout the duration of the film, you've got a lot of handheld stuff. It's very kind of, you know, verite and, and very you know, herky-jerky and, and almost Paul Greengrass-ish, only not as nausea-inducing or as difficult to actually see what's going on. But the last act, particularly of this film, I really think is incredibly heartfelt, and I really admire the way that some of the characters end up dealing with the situation they find themselves in. I think the last scene is unforgettable and the last shot is staggering. So for me, number seven is Lars von Trier's Melancholia. That's a good movie. What's your number seven? (laughs) Number seven is Kung Fu Panda 2. It's a solid film with great action pieces and completely leaves the door open for a super massively epic Kung Fu Panda 3. Yeah, Kung Fu Panda 2 is an awesome movie. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's in my 11 through 20 list. That's a very good But That's actually our friend of the show, Scott Mendelson's favorite movie of the year. Really? I did not know that. I thought you thought it was uh, Hugo. No, that's Mark Johnson. Oh, I'm sorry. Wrong, wrong Mark. Oh, I said Scott Mendelson. So. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you know what? I'd like to resign right now from life. He doesn't speak Mark, English. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
he, he means well. He, he doesn't know. Republic credits, we don't have no good around here. <laughs> My uh, number seven film is uh, Hugo. Um, and if I had to kind of re if I had to reconfigure my list at this point, having like stared at it for the past like week and a half after doing it, Hugo might even move up higher in the future. But it, you know, lists are set now, and this is where I have it. Hugo was just a, such a fantastic joy to watch. I really, really admired the filmmaking in this movie. Martin Scorsese's direction is fantastic, and I this is honestly to me this is one of his best directed movies at this point in terms of what my my regard to it just how he brings this whole world together how he incorporates 3d in a way that both looks great in this movie and applies to the narrative which is something that you know no movies don't do that movies don't apply 3d to their narrative but somehow this movie does in a way and yeah i just absolutely loved hugo i love the the um performance by Ben Kingsley in particular is especially fantastic. I think I love how it grows from being sort of an adventure film involving Hugo, the orphan boy in the railway station to some, to even more involving the kind of the inventiveness of cinema. And it's a movie that's been made by using the latest technology in cinema to bring the earliest aspects of cinema to life and all of that stuff. Just, it's just a, it's a wonderfully, wonderfully creative movie. And it's great to see someone like Scorsese, who's been around for, you know, many decades at this point and making, you know, classic movies. And he still has it in him to make another movie that I would like to see become a future classic, if that's even possible. Like, it's just, it's ridiculous it, how good I like this movie. It's his first attempt at a children's movie, too. So, yeah, you know, he, uh, yeah tried really. he tried something new and, and it was, it was quite good. He was actually warning people at screenings, you know, I'd like to warn you that there's no violence or, or this is a kid's movie, so don't expect my normal thing. Alan's number seven movie. It was Warrior. That's a, that's a really good movie, too. Yeah, that's, that, yeah. It's good, but there are elbows and knees sticking out all over the place. Mm. Oh, I haven't given my seven. No, you haven't. No. Mine is Midnight in Paris. Um, one of the most charming Woody Allen films in a very long time. I thought that uh, just it was it was really sweet and it reminded me a little bit of films like uh, Purple Rose of Cairo and a little bit of, of Play It Again, Sam. Um, it had such a love of like the past. Uh, and uh, I just thought it was really, I mean, it, and, then, and it, I wasn't the only one. It actually was one of Woody Allen's biggest hits. I mean, he never has movies that gross a lot of money, but... This is one of the biggest hits he's ever had, or maybe I think it's actually his biggest hit. Maybe it is. Uh, yeah, without part adjusting. of that is because of you know without adjusting for inflation. But. Adjusting for inflation, exactly. I mean, Annie Hall probably would be more, but uh, but this is still a very highly grossing movie, and uh, I thought that it was. I don't want to give away spoil the plot points, but I just thought it was. It had a love of nostalgia and the past, and I liked the characters and the way they interacted with him. And I just thought it was, it was, it had sort of a fantasy element and it was also just charming. Number six, Adam, how about you go? All right. Uh, my number six is a movie from March, which is normally where uh, bad films are banished to. Well, January is where really January. bad films are banished to. And then March <laughs> is like the movies that most people end up forgetting about. But in thinking back and looking back over 2011 titles, this one really kind of popped out at me. And it's Kiri Joji Fukunaga's Jane Eyre. Um, oh, that's a that good one, choice. That one really, uh, it really, I think it was really effective. A lot of times period pieces tend to be kind of stuffily British, and they have this idealized world of, of 
where everything's really just so and nice and fine. And I really liked that this one was was moody and dark. And when you in the, in the beginning of the film, when she arrives at at the manor, it's it's dark and it's cold, and you really get a sense of that. Um, these old houses they didn't have these beautiful central lighting systems and whatnot, and so you really get a sense of what it would have been like for her. Um, I, I think Mia, however you say her last name, is Kowski. What Aaron said. Uh, I think <laughs> she's really solid, solid in this film, and I really particularly love the ending so much. It just ends on such a beautiful note of, of grace and 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 and, uh, and beauty that I, I just for my number six is a, is Jane Eyre. Adam, I, I love the fact that you picked this film because uh, it's in my honorable mentions, and I have not heard any critics talk about this film. It's almost like it just came out and disappeared, and I don't understand why, because co- this costume-type dramas are usually the kind of film that people really champion. And for some reason, I don't feel any love for this film, and I thought it was extraordinary. I, I thought, I, I mean, it's, it's got... it's the timing more than anything that kind of... Yeah, it's too bad they didn't release it. Maybe if they had released it in December, it might have gotten more awards and stuff. But it's beautifully done. And, you know, Jane Eyre, I mean, there's been many, many versions of this film. So it's got a lot of, you know, other versions to go up against. And it's it it compares favorably to um, really, you know, I'm aware of two of them and and it compares favorably to, to those two versions I've seen. And I think it was it was really well done. And I agree with you. The. The mood of it is is really kind of it's got a dark atmosphere, and I like the the you know the the scenes outside the mansion are kind of gloomy with grays and blues, and the outdoors has this sort of a menacing tone, and I I thought that really contributed to the strength of the production. In addition it's to really, the really emotionally great. affecting too, I thought really there was a real connection. Oh yeah, I know. I, I thought I mean it's got Michael Fassbender, who's like one of our it guys of of 2011, and um, the Mia Wasak. Cowska. <laughs> Cowska, yeah. Uh, she's she's quite a, a, a good actress as well. Um, you know, it's got Jamie Bell, Judy Dench. It's, I, I don't really quite understand why it hasn't gotten more more acclaim, but, mm. you know, a very. I, I, I'm glad to hear that you picked that. Uh, Abe, what is your uh, number six? Number six is The Adventures of Tintin. Uh, this is a great, fun movie. It's a. Uh, really awesome action movie uh again we described we said it a lot in the review but this really is kind of like an unlimited spielberg reach on things if he had unlimited potential to do anything and he really pulls it off very well so i I really enjoyed this movie quite a bit yeah i literally just saw this movie for a second time before we started recording this podcast and yeah watching his camera move in this movie is kind of amazing to see in action like he has no restraints and it has allowed him to do just just the way he adds like a spielberg touch to his action sequences since he he he's he knows how to direct the movie and having him in an animated world he kind of pulls out the stops for some really really brilliant like the the whole pirate action sequence mm-hmm. is kind of yeah. It's ridiculously good, right? And just even just the other scenes, just the way he kind of transitions into scenes. Yeah. It's, it's just there's there's great things at play. Add to that, Andy Serkis once again, like pulling off another great mocap performance in this movie, and Daniel Craig being near unrecognizable, but like <laughs> he, he makes like for a good villain. It's just fun. That's just a fun fun movie to watch. Yeah, it is a, a big plus for for Spielberg action sequences. What I love so much about them is how well he grounds the viewer spatially. 
I think a lot of uh, modern day action directors, not that Spielberg's not a modern day director, but I mean, a lot of current hot, you know, it filmmakers, they, you can't tell where anything is spatially. You don't know where you are and how to relate to, to the environment that you're, that you're seeing. What I love about Spielberg is no matter what's going on, he always takes the time to ground you. You know where you are. You know where things are in relation to, you know, the center of the action. And I just, he's a master in directing action sequences. I love him. Yeah, there's, there's a, yeah, that's a great point about action sequences that, you know, you can't tell what the hell is going on beyond like a few current working directors that, you know, really like to set up the geography. And, Paul, yeah. <laughs> green grass. Oh, because that's uh, nice. <laughs> Transformers. <coughs> Gesundheit even more. <laughs> Super Gesundheit. <Yeah. laughs> uh, Mark, what's your number six movie? My number six was Bridesmaids. And uh, I just thought it was my favorite comedy of the year. There were a few that I actually enjoyed quite a bit. I mean, I mentioned Rango as as an animated film. But um, I thought uh, it was just, not only was it funny, but I also thought that Kristen Wiig as the main character kind of played this character that was graceless and pathetic and awkward, but she was also sweet and likable and sympathetic. And I somehow she was able to combine all of these characteristics into a character that really made you like her. And um, I thought it was, it was a great ensemble cast. I thought it, uh, Melissa McCarthy is like my new favorite comedian. I think she's hilarious. She was on Saturday Night Live at the beginning of... Uh, of uh, this uh, TV season, and she, I thought she killed it. And uh, she's she's also funny here. And I mean, they're joined by a whole cast: Maya Rudolph and Rose Byrne. And I'm, you know, a, a, it's just a really funny film. And I I enjoyed the 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 setting and the the, the little comedic uh, vignettes that they had throughout the film. So intelligent but funny. It was just a good good comedy all around. Agreed. That's just, yeah, that's just a, a really well-written movie that happens to be a comedy in my eyes. And I think anyone that's still saying it's the hangover for women has not seen Bridesmaids, honestly, because it's not that. It's just a really well-done comedy. It has maybe what it has, it has like one rot, that one raunch scene that we all know about. But beyond that, it's just really funny consistently, but also has a lot of heart. And I appreciate that a lot in that movie. That's just, it's just really well, really well, yeah. well done. And has, yeah, it has a great ensemble cast. Is it Kirsten or Kristen Wiig? Kristen Wiig and Kristen. I hope that she really keeps. She keeps writing because I'm I'm more more than excited to see what she come up with. Move aside, Diablo Cody. <laughs> uh, Chris Chris O'Dowd actually he just got engaged by the way. Just to here. Kristen Wiig. No, but I saw that on IMDb the other day and I was like, oh, that's timely. Have we sent him a card yet? I did. Is he a friend yeah. of the show yet, Aaron? I was gonna say he's not quite a friend of the show. He's not a friend of the show like Kyle. Oh, Chandler, Chandler, but, yeah, um, yeah. Kyle, happy new year. Uh, <laughs> um, Alan's number six almost relates to mine because it has one of the my favorite titles to save the year. His number six film was Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, the Gary Oldman spy thriller. Um, that's a movie that had one of the best casts of the year and has a really great performance of Gary Oldman. Incredibly, incredibly intricate plot, but I enjoyed that movie quite a bit, and I wish Alan was here to talk about it more since he apparently loved it so much. But yeah, that's he was really proud of himself for figuring out the plot. I know that. And um, yeah, my number six film is the other favorite title of mine to say out loud. It is Martha Marcy May Marlene, the um, the, the 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 cult thriller of sorts, which starred Elizabeth Olsen as a young woman who managed to escape a cult that was led by 
character played by uh, John Hawks, and uh, she kind of re- tries to readjust to her normal life, living with her sister, or a more normal life, and it's kind of flash. It's crossed with flashbacks to her life within the cold. And this movie, along with Insidious, had me the most tense all year. Like it was the the way the there's setups, the the way the direction is handled. It's such a I was incredibly tense while sitting down and watching this movie and you don't know it, what's going to happen next. You don't know. And it's, yeah. yeah, it has such a way of playing with, it has a great way of p- putting you exactly in the eyes of Martha in this movie where she is in a, a fragile state where she's basically paranoid. And like, there's, there's kind of ways to interpret how this movie's editing works in terms of how you're, it's addressing Martha's conscious level and like whether she's, kind of going in and out of maybe dreaming or maybe she's seeing things, maybe she's really just out of it, like maybe everything's just happening the exact way it is. It's just there's all these little nuances that I really enjoyed about this movie. I can't wait to see it again when it comes out because it's such a really, really interesting movie, I thought. And the editing especially is something I really hope gets recognized awards-wise because there's some really, really cool transitions in this movie, just the way it kind of flashes in between two different timelines. I was really... I, was, I very much admired how the filmmaker works, especially from a debut film, feature filmmaker. That really caught me off guard, too. So. Uh, you say you were tense, but on a scale of one to Michael Fassbender, how tense were you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, um, pretty, pretty, uh, pretty, pretty Magneto in, in uh, Brazil tense. That's uh, Nice. Uh, Abe, mm-hmm. what is your number five film? Number five film. I hope you guys... Uh feel the same way I do about this film. It's Beginners. I really, really like the acting in this movie, and it's Christopher Plummer is just this devastatingly great, sad character, and it's it's got a lot of heart, and you can... Obviously, you know where the movie's gonna go right in the beginning, but it's just... It's, it's well played, so kudos to the filmmakers who made Beginners. One of the more charming films of the year. I really enjoyed Beginners. Definitely, and it, it's got a great... It's it's one of those films that could be really precious with the way the voiceover narration yes, yeah. sort of starts off the film, but it really kind of takes you under its spell really quickly. Um, and the performances are great. I mean, Ewan McGregor, Melanie Laurent, Christopher Plummer. So, I mean, it's, it's not on my list, but I, I really do like that film. And I, you know, and here's hoping that it gets some recognition. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, let's see. What was Alan's number five? His was fast five. You did that oh. on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> Kudos to you, Alan. You sneaky guy. <laughs> In terms of like pure entertaining movies this year, Fast Five would be on that top ten list for me. You know, just just pure action entertainment. Yeah, that movie. That movie did exactly what that movie needed to do, and it did it very, very well. And <laughs> The Rock is my hero in that movie. <laughs> I like the way he just kills like this drug lord at the end there, and says, "This is for my team." I, I I love that it managed to star Paul Walker, The Rock, Vin Diesel, and Vin Diesel's double chin. It was a good cast. <laughs> the Rock managed to make Vin Diesel look like a little guy in that movie. Yeah, The Rock was. Remember what, when they were standing next to each other? I'm like, oh, Vin Diesel looks so tiny. You don't mess with the Brahma <laughs> Bull. Because The Rock's actually kind of kind of badass compared to Vin Diesel. Mark, uh, what's your number five? Uh, let's see. Wait. Oh, so my number five was Moneyball. Um, oh. I really enjoyed the the way that it was able to make the business of baseball just as exciting as the game itself. And I thought it had uh, several good performances. I thought Brad Pitt was 
outstanding uh, in the role, and he was kind of the, the main uh, focus of the film. But uh, I thought also Jonah Hill actually turned in a really good performance um, in a supporting role uh, that was sort of his statistician um, in the in the film. And I, I thought it was very well done. And, uh, you know, there there's a scene where they're like, it's just the business of trading players and, and, and assembling a team. And that doesn't sound like it would be interesting. And on paper, this film shouldn't have worked. But I don't know. When I watched it, I was actually riveted. I, I really enjoyed it a lot. So um, I, I definitely I found it to be one of my favorite films of the year. That's a good choice. I, I like that movie quite a bit. It didn't make my, um, my list, but I was I, uh, I really, yeah, like Mark said, I really enjoyed the way it made something that doesn't seem inherently cinematic like a facebook movie for example or in this case you know statistics involving baseball players more interesting than say a biopic about one of the most important people in the government so it's quite good yeah uh but i, I do agree uh, with mark there uh, about jonah hill's performance i actually really liked his subtle kind of played down performance and i mean i'm, I'm excited to see 21 jump street of course but this was a nice <laughs> this was a nice uh uh Kind of out of the out of the his uh, little imprint that he's put on in, on Hollywood and on his films, so it was, it was good to see him kind of taking a little bit of a quieter, subdued role. Yeah, it was a nice swan song for seeing large Jonah Hill in movies. Oh. <laughs> My number five is Rango. Um, I. Earlier this year, Rango, Rango was my favorite movie of the year for a long time throughout the most of the summer, and yeah, there were just the way things worked out and how I kind of rank things it moved down a few slots but that doesn't make it any less of what i thought of it before i just absolutely loved rango when i saw it i was just looking forward to it when i got in there just because it looked so weird and it turned out to be incredibly weird but in a very good way a way that just makes me happy and smile that this movie exists somehow this is a movie that has a plot that's basically chinatown mixed with like spaghetti westerns mixed with this weird existential identity crisis involving a chameleon into like one movie that's meant for kids. I kind of, and it all worked for me. It's such a great, great movie to watch. And for so many different reasons, especially for like a cinephile who gets all these crazy references that this movie's trying to pack into. It's, it's, it's very intelligent. It is. It's yeah. very, very clever. And it's fun and it's incredibly well animated. This doesn't get brought up yeah. enough, but ILM's like, this is like their debut animated feature, and they somehow they just they knocked it out of the park. This movie looks amazing. The the way the these different reptiles and their clothing and the details and the world and the landscapes and the scenery. It's just yeah, such, a, scenery, such like a good the dry dry landscapes. It's crazy. It's like the desert. It, yeah, it's yeah, it's such a good looking movie. It has this great score by Hans Zimmer too, and oh, it's just such a it's 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 such an enjoyable film and i was i'm just so happy that it exists i don't know how this movie would get besides i guess the name johnny depp just opens doors for you because that's the only reason i think this movie was able to get made with i mean with a, i guess a high budget opposed to being like some really obscure stop motion animated film or something but like yeah rango i just absolutely love this movie i i would completely love to see more rango films right rango for a few rangos more and the good the bad and the rango i'd love to see all those <laughs> Um, Adam, what is your number four movie? All right, coming in at number four is one of the single most delightful experiences I had in the movies all year, and that's Woody Allen's Midnight in Paris. Uh, it was just absolutely delightful. Um, now, I'm not somebody who 
who has a big problem with the post-millennial Woodster like a lot of people do. I mean, I like a lot of his his more recent films. I thought Vicky Cristina Barcelona in particular really fit up there with some of his best work. But but like Mark said, I mean, I really thought a lot of Purple Rose of Cairo because it, it, they really both kind of have this um, nostalgic look back at the past and sort of ask the question, you know, if you if you if you could have exactly what you wanted, would you still want it? You know, and I and they really both kind of tackle the, the rose colored glasses aspect of of how some people choose to view their lives, and I think they tackle it really well. And I think they both really um you know they're both fantastic films. One thing I really love about this film, um, uh, Owen Wilson is absolutely fantastic, and some of the cameo parts like Adrian Brody, uh, he's a wonderful. I won't reveal who he is because we kind of spoil a little bit. Let's just say it's all about the rhinoceros. But look, with, with, with this particular film, I felt kind of like I did with The Social Network last year. I'm sitting there, and I'm realizing the movie's about to end, and I'm just cringing, saying, no, don't end. I'll stay here for another half an hour. Just keep going. Just keep going. I'm not going anywhere. So um, we were talking before about how much money it's made. And I, like I said, I really hope that this the success this movie's enjoyed uh, will uh, get some some... U.S. companies to give Woody some some money, where he can actually not have to go overseas to, to make a film, and he can actually make a film once again in his native uh, native New York. But ah, oh, love Midnight in Paris, one of his his, his best recent films. Adam, <laughs> I uh, completely agree with you because Midnight in Paris is also my number four, and I yeah, absolutely love this movie. I re- I watched it again, and it's just it just makes me smile. It's just such a such a fun light movie to watch and it has so many like just enjoyable performances in it all the smaller roles including carrie stoll and a certain performance that i know abe is a big fan of as well yes very much um, so i but, would watch him being that character any day of the week <laughs> and uh, but yeah midnight in paris is so, it was such a enjoyable movie to watch and i was so delighted by just continuing to see this thing unfold and just be like god i'm really just having a great time watching old Wilson interact in the world that he's put in based on Woody Allen's very, very clever script. I was just, I was taken aback. I was expecting what going into it. It's like, all right, this year's Woody Allen. So let's see what's going on here. And I, I was happy to be completely, you know, unknown to what the plot was going to be. Cause it just completely surprised me with what managed to happen. And my reaction afterwards was, yeah, this is one of my favorite Woody Allen movies in general. Like I did not see that coming whatsoever, but yeah, I was happy to, and what I love, too, about his, his writing is that a lot of modern-day writers, they sort of punctuate everything. Every every person they name in a film, if they, if they name anybody, it's this pop culture reference. It's this thing that, you're, that everybody's going to get. Woody is not afraid to go right over your head and name people that you may have never heard of. Because, you know, A, he trusts his audience to come up to where he's at. And second of all... Even if you don't know who all of these people are that he's referencing, it's still absolutely hilarious. And you just, you totally, you know, you get carried along with it. And I love the fact that he's not playing down to us, that he's just, he's making the film he wants to make. And in this case, it really worked. And it's great to see him rebound after the limp, languid screen hog that was uh, Tall Dark Stranger last year. It's, you know, it's, ah, can't say enough. Yeah, Adam, there's a scene in this movie where 
Owen Wilson encounters a character and he gives him an idea for a film. <laughs> and that scene, like, there's so there's so many people that, that there, no one will, not everyone is going to get that reference. But the way that scene is handled is amazing. Like, it's just, so it's just so enjoyable. But why, Aaron? So but why? <laughs> why? Why would they do why? this? Why, they... why can't uh... he just get out? <laughs> so, hey, it's all about the rhinoceros, okay? I think one of the things, too, that's kind of sort of so perfect about this film is sort of the art imitating life because Owen Wilson plays Gil who's this like Hollywood hack screenwriter who's tired of being a sellout and then, <laughs> and then within the film you know Owen Wilson I mean he's it, I mean, he himself Owen Wilson the actor has been in these movies like me you me and Dupree and Drillbit Taylor and now he's in this sophisticated well-written comedy it's almost like wow it's just like actually his sort of odyssey in the film is kind of like him actually becoming a you know a good actor and i mean he's a good actor but he him being an actor in a in a film that's actually worthy of his talents but this is the same owen wilson though, that you know right he's, does, he's done all the wes too. anderson yeah he's done all those wes anderson movies and those are those are great as well but, it, I, but i'm he not also, a huge anderson fan i'm just saying you know he's such a, you know he's also written so many things and, and it's obviously not anybody that just writes with wes anderson so that's it's kind of cool you know, like you're saying, that he's getting a chance to break out of the, the mold, which he doesn't and, have to be in, which is weird, you know? You know, Owen Wilson as sort of, I mean, he's kind of like Woody Allen's alter ego. He inhabits his character he so perfectly. Well, yeah. I'm surprised he hasn't been in one of the director's pictures until now. I mean, he's like, because Woody Allen has a tendency to kind of cast the, the same actors for a while in his, as himself. And I don't know, I, I'm, you may see... Owen Wilson in more film movies because he does a good job in the in the main part. Yeah, the the Allen role in this movie, he fills the shoes very well, and I'd be I'd be happy to see him play that role again. Like it's 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 neat when you see other actors playing the role that Allen's obviously designed to play. You know, the version of himself in this movie since he's a little bit older it's, now it's, and doesn't you know quite play these roles well anymore. <laughs> I just have to say the best the best current person playing an Allen role is Rebecca Hall in the QVC in Barcelona. I didn't think her performance got near the amount of credit. I'm glad you recognized that. Like, some right. people didn't really recognize that she no. was the one playing the That's Woody, totally Allen Woody Allen in that film, yeah. And no, she I was fantastic, too. and she got no love for that at all. Yeah, it was. It, you're right. It's very strange. She didn't get a whole lot of uh, acclaim for that, and she was very good in it. Because it wasn't the, uh, the, the standout role, like something like Penelope Cruz's role, which is very, you know, it's very, it's very yeah. actory. Yes. Look at me, I'm acting. Which is, I mean, she's very good in the movie as well. But yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. Um, Abe, what is your number four movie? The number four movie is The Descendants with George Clooney. This is uh, solid acting, solid work by everybody, but it was, it's, it's a somber film, but it handles the topic of how to deal with this kind of, uh, this kind of thing with, with like a, a deteriorating family and another problem that arises for George Clooney involving his marital status uh, prior to the accident of his wife. Yeah, it deals with it very uh, in a in a low-key way, but it was a solid job acting, directing. Uh, the music was really good, and I just, I really like this movie. I, uh, again, it's not a great feel-good movie, but it, it's a good, solid movie, and I, I really liked it. Yeah, Clooney in this movie is fantastic. He's he's very good in this movie, and I won't be surprised if he, when he gets nominated, and that'd be, I wouldn't be surprised if he won. Honestly, I mean, there's very good performances this year, but you know, Clooney's a strong contender. He's very good in this movie. Uh, Mark, 
What is your number four? My number four is Drive, starring Ryan Gosling. And uh, I just uh, really enjoyed sort of the mood and the sort of retro vibe that this action thriller had. Um, it's a kind of has a very sort of 80s feel to it. Um, you know, the, the score, the, 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 the soundtrack is it's probably my favorite soundtrack of the whole year. And then there's definitely were several, that's a lot. That's saying a lot. Yeah. That's saying a lot because there was a lot of really good ones this year, but um, I, I think it's probably my favorite soundtrack. I thought it really underscored sort of the kind of slow burning mood of the film. And there was, there were some people that I think maybe it, they marketed the film almost like a fast five kind of film. Like it was going to be one of these type films. And it's so clearly not that kind of film. It's much more, um, introspective and 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 there's a lot of quiet scenes and it, it's not that kind of film so if you go into the movie thinking that you're going to be disappointed but I actually love the fact that it wasn't that kind of film that it was sort of a very uh, it was kind of a triumph of minimalism over like gaudy extravaganza and it was just about these people and I, I love the way the mood there there were scenes where I mean there was just like I don't know it felt like 30 seconds of silence where someone would say something and then Ryan Gosling would just sort of like sit there and stare at them. And, and it, it's a kind of a, it's definitely not the a showy performance, but I, I thought he was excellent in this film. I thought it was, I mean, my favorite performance of, of his this year. And uh, I just thought that the story and the mood and the music and everything really combined to be one of the, I mean, one of the best pictures of the year for me. I mean, I have it at number four, but I mean, it, it I really I love this film quite a bit. It was it was one of my favorites. Yeah, it's a good movie. Love the music. Mm-hmm. Alan's number four movie was The Artist. Ooh. Yeah, I feel we'll, we'll probably be hearing more about that film later on. So uh, <laughs> I'll just leave that alone for now. But um, <laughs> let's move on to um, Adam. What is your number three movie? All right, we're getting into the metal round here. Um, my number three is Pedro Almodovar's The Skin I Live In. Um, no other film this year unsettled me quite to the degree that The Skin I Live In did. One thing I love so much about Pedro is that he, he takes these characters that are unlike people that you know, a lot of us you know, may ever meet. And he really helps you to identify with them, and to empathize with what they're going through, and to see you know, how similar they are or they may be to you. And, and one thing that was so great about this movie is that it's got all these different um, sort of, all of these different echoes of, of other types of things. It's got a little bit of Hitchcock in there. Uh, it's got a little bit of Dickens in there. And you've got this, this, this crazy-ish doctor with this woman that he keeps in his house, and you don't know why she's in his house or what the whole reason is or what's going on. And when you start to kind of figure out what's going on, I sat there and thought to myself, oh, no, please, no, 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 not that, please, not that. And it was exactly what was going on, and yet it didn't feel gratuitous or exploitative or whatnot. And the film is, is really affecting. The performances are, are, are great. And the actual ending, the final final scene I would present is quite possibly a perfect ending. And I, I don't come across those very often, and I just thought it was... Uh, wonderfully written, wonderfully acted, wonderfully directed, and wonderfully unsettling. So, number three, Skin I Live In. Yeah, the movie is, it's beautiful, for one thing. I mean, it's, for a movie that deals with a lot of elements that are 
quite macabre. It's it's a beautiful movie to watch. I love seeing Pedro Almodovar's use of color in this film. Oh yeah, it's yeah. There, it it delves into some things that are you know it. This is this is a sense. This is like a an art house horror film essentially. If you want to boil it down to you know simple terms, but there are some images in this movie that are just really really cool, really interesting to see, and the way the plot evolves. And yeah, I I really enjoyed this movie too. This is in my my ten through eleven right. Sorry, my twenty through eleven list. I, I really, it's hard. It was hard to not include this movie among a couple others on it because I just really, really enjoyed how the story revealed itself. Uh, Abe, what's your number three movie? My number three movie is Hugo. Martin Scorsese's Hugo. This is a terrific, beautiful film with beautiful shots and writing and the whole entire essence of the history of film. It gives you like a little history lesson while you're watching it. It's well done it's um i liked i liked uh, the writing because again it's kind of based off of a book but I, I liked how they have to go on this little adventure story and um like what aaron uh touts also i really enjoyed ben kingsley's performance in this role it was fantastic so hugo is number great. three yeah i agree yeah. with you i thought ben kingsley was great in it I, in fact i this film uh, the first half i have to admit i was a little uh, disengaged in the first half but once Ben Kingsley showed up and the narrative kind of focused on his sort of story arc I was I was riveted so the second half I was really I really I feel you there I, I really enjoyed it Hugo's almost more than any other movie on this list is the movie I hope people would see in theaters while it's still out there and in 3D it, well yes but that's that's why because the experience of watching Hugo is one that you just won't get again, really. I mean, it's, it's especially given its subject matter. It's such a, a great movie to see in theaters and kind of recognize what it's kind of doing with cinema, how it's toying with it within the narrative, as well as being just a great movie to see on a big screen. Uh, Mark, what is your number three? So my number three was Attack the Block, and that was a, um, a British film... Uh, it came out uh, in the middle of the year. It uh, has to do with this uh, group of sort of uh, street thugs in Britain and their reaction to a, uh, I guess, a supernatural force that comes down and they sort of band together and kind of attack it. And it's it's got elements of sci-fi. It's got comedy. Um, it's a little bit of horror. It's kind of a it's a kind of a mixture of a lot of these different things. And I really enjoyed sort of the the script's ability to juggle all these different genres together. And then I also enjoyed the cast of sort of talented unknowns um, that sort of brought these sort of characters to life. And they're they're different. They're I mean they were sort of uh, sort of hooligans, but you know they're from Britain and they speak with accents and they've got. Uh, you know, all this sort of British street slang that I wasn't familiar with. And I, I really enjoyed kind of this sort of new sort of window into this kind of world. Um, and then it's got this supernatural element to it, which which also was kind of interesting. It's very low budget. So it's it's not like a, the special effects aren't particularly uh, spectacular. But I actually thought that worked in the film's favor because it, it it wasn't sort of trying to show off. It was just trying to tell a story. And it got by on effects that were kind of creative without having to be sort of overly, um, you know, it wasn't CGI and all that kind of thing. And, um, and then it also had a, a really kind of interesting uh, electronic score uh, 
the uh, two of the members of uh, the Basement Jacks, uh, which is a house music duo, um, uh, were responsible for it. Oh, also with another uh, gentleman uh, composer, Stephen Price, and the the special effects uh, and the the soundtrack I think combined really presented this sort of altogether kind of original film. And uh, yeah, I just I was surprised. I didn't expect to walk away from this film loving it as much as I did, and I, I thought it was just amazing. Yeah, that's a good movie. Indeed, I liked uh, I liked it a lot. It was a, it's exactly how kids would talk, and I think that's what I appreciated most about it. Uh, a lot of cursing. British street kids. Yeah, yeah, a lot of cursing. A lot of like you know, you got to be in to know, and it's it was really good. It's got a lot of heart because uh, the kids all want to uh, stick around for each other and help each other out, but obviously not all of them can survive. No. Uh, Alan's number three was also Attack the Block. Wow. Twinsies. Yeah. <laughs> Twice. <laughs> um, my uh, number three is Melancholia. I previously gone over how much I really enjoyed and loved this movie enjoyed as a loosely used term because it's you know it's not a feel-good movie by any means it's about a woman with depression among other things but watching this movie I was kind of floored by my reaction to it the last thing I was expecting this year was to be championing a Lars von Trier film but somehow it made it made its way to being one of my top movies of the year I absolutely just was entranced by this movie i had i just enjoyed watching it so much there's so many interesting things about it i found now the way it came it comes together the way the story is told the the subject matter of the story the, the different the construction of the film given the prologue it's two parts and then how it kind of plays out the, the way the the way these characters are handled in this film the way that it's actually quite humorous in a lot of it which i was not expecting exactly i yeah i Next to Rango, this is probably the weirdest movie on my list, but I would really, really enjoy Melancholia. And I put it up way high at my number three. But, hey, as long as Lars von Trier makes movies, I'm going to go see him, because I mean, we need this guy. See, that's something I still can't say, but after Melancholia, I'm like, well, what is he going to do next? I don't know. <laughs> Adam, did you see the movie Antichrist? Uh, I haven't gotten to Antichrist yet. I really want to, but I haven't got to it yet. It's the feel-good movie of 2010. Adam, what is your number two movie of the year? Right, my my number two film, um, number between this one and my number one, it was, it was, it, I was thinking about it. And it was a little bit of a toss up at first as to which one affected me the most emotionally. But I, in thinking about it, I mean, they, they both kind of work in very different ways. But this film, out of any film I saw this year, was the one that really, kind of, I won't say it left me with a lump in my throat, but it really affected me, and made me, sort of. It really gave me a lot to take away from the film, let's put it that way. And it's David Weissman's We Were Here. Um, it's a documentary about the beginning of the AIDS crisis in San Francisco in the early 80s. Um, and it is a extremely heartfelt piece about um, a group of people that weren't related by blood but became one another's family and the way that a community responded to a crisis. And, and it, it tells the story particularly of about six different uh, men and women who were there at the time and just it talks about just the vibrancy of the area and how how, sh how, it, how it was shattered by this, this horrible horrible disease and the way that the community responded and um, 
I'm fortunate enough to to work with uh, the Newport Beach Film Festival, and every year I get a chance to to present some movies to the to the uh, the public. But this was one of the, the very few times, and probably the only time, that I really truly felt honored to have the chance to to present a film to an audience. And I, I just we were here left on mark. I mean, like a few other films uh, did in 2011, and I hope more people get go out and uh, and seek it out and get a chance to watch. Cool. Yeah, I have not seen that movie, so glad you brought something original to this list. <laughs> yeah, I've, I haven't even heard of it, actually. I'm looking uh, it up. It actually had its theatrical premiere at the Castro Theater in San Francisco, which is like very fitting. like within 20 miles from me, which, and I've actually been to that theater before, but uh, I haven't actually um, I don't, don't know anything about it, so I'll have to seek that out. And uh, another doc I want to just shout out is Beats, Rhymes, and Life, The Travels of a Tribe Called Quest. This, this is a movie that documents kind of the past, present, and possible future of the hip-hop group A Tribe Called Quest, which is one of my favorite hip-hop groups, but they're very influential in the world of hip-hop. And it's a it's really fascinating, really good documentary that kind of goes over what this what this group did, their influences, and how they kind of formed and eventually broke up before coming back together again, and just kind of the personal drama involved and the the group members' lives. And it's just a really good documentary. Uh, regardless regardless of you you know know of the group of Tribe Called Quest or are just familiar with them, it's just a really good doc. But if you are, you are in for a treat because it really goes over their history quite well and you know supplies you with with their beats and you have all these interviews of other very famous hip-hop artists and groups uh, like common for example like just talking about what they how they kind of changed the world not the world to change the kind of the hip-hop scene in the way so i was that was a really good documentary i was really really looking forward to seeing that movie and i was happy that it delivered quite well it was directed by michael rapaport actually who's you know kind of a he's a recognizable character actor with a kind of a, a brooklyn accent i think if you saw him you know who i was talking about and i was surprised that he he's just a huge a tribe called plus fan and he decided to make a documentary and it Worked out quite well. That so. makes me happy was... to know that he directed that. <laughs> yeah, it, it's like, really? it cool to Michael that. <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was awesome. Yeah, uh, Mark, what is your number two film? So, uh, my number two, my number two film was The Muppets. Um, just wasn't a, a movie this year that I I loved and and walked out of just loving my fellow man more than any other. I just thought it was, uh, it was just sweet and winning, but it was also. Uh, it had kind of a like it had a sarcastic edge to it too. Yeah, it's definitely something that uh, I think an adult would enjoy, but I think also it, it's something that you can take kids to as well. Uh, so I, I thought it definitely balanced all those different um, sort of aspects to it. I thought the dialogue really um, was well written and funny. It, it was one of there were definitely some very good comedies this year, and that this was definitely one of them. And um, I thought also it's one of the great musicals of the last like five years. I, it's I thought the some really funny um, and well written musical songs. Uh, so you know I, I am a fan of the Muppets. So I probably walked in here already kind of wanting to love it, but I was I was very pleasantly surprised at how good it was. I did not expect to to put this. I mean I'm putting it at number two. I, I didn't even expect to put it in my top ten, um, although I was anticipating. The film a lot but i was really really pleased with it and definitely um obviously a, a a great film in my mind let's see what was alan's number two film of the year it was the girl with the dragon tattoo oh. yeah we uh, we alan and i or sorry adam and i were um we did we did hear alan's praise for the girl with the dragon tattoo which is a movie that we both did like 
quite a bit. I mean, we like we thought it was very well made, um, but we just didn't love it as much as Alan did, who came in completely fresh to the girl with the dragon tattoo, you know, that whole franchise and everything, and he just absolutely loved it. He thought it was a great, great David seeing David Fincher just at work and kind of an, an atmosphere that he was very, you know, familiar with. So, if it, I had never list, but it would certainly be you know in the honorable mention ish category. Mm-hmm. If I had never seen the original and I walked into this one cold, I might, yeah, it, it would have probably rated much higher on my list. But, but having seen the original, the, the freshness of it was kind of, and there wasn't enough for me. I mean, I liked the film, but there wasn't enough newness to the film for me to get excited about it. But yeah, if I had never seen it, if I had never seen the original trilogy, then I probably would have just really, like, I, it would have been a lot higher on my list. Yeah, see, that's that kind of weird area where I just I would just never know how I would have reacted. <laughs> I probably would, I still probably would have liked it a lot, but yeah, it's it's such a weird kind of thing to kind of try to think about in court to having you know previously seen and read material and seeing you know another adaptation of it so closely after. It's hard to disassociate myself between the so, different mediums. Abe, what is your number two film of the year? My number two film of the year is Drive with Ryan Gosling. We have already uh, blown our load on this one, but I will blow my load again. Thanks for saying that louder. <laughs> it adds more effect to, you know. The load blow, yeah. got it. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing else to say about Drive except really just go out and see it, like, right now. Um, it's a great film. It has great score, like what everyone says, great soundtrack. Uh, not a whole lot of lines from Ryan Gosling, but man, his face does a lot of acting, and it's it's a uh, it's an excellent excellent movie that I thought about. From <laughs> I was gonna say the same about Michael Fassbender's penis. <laughs> Segway. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a good movie. Um, let's see, my number two film is Attack the Block, which we've addressed, but I this is the movie I've watched the most this year. I I even I watched it last weekend exactly actually too. So that I think it was like. Oh. Maybe maybe seven times this past year I've <laughs> oh, seen this gosh. movie. Uh, this movie is so utterly enjoyable, and it's so wonderfully well made for being a debut feature. That ha- hold on, because Alan just got here and he's gonna jump on with us right now. Hold on, give me a second. Alan. Hello. Hey. Look hey, at what's up, buddy? Hey guys. Hola. Hi, Alan. You just jumped hey. into our recording for our best of 2011 show, and we are getting to the the top of the bills here. We got all the way up to our number two films of all. We've been making a lot of fun of you about of your list, particularly, and just talking a lot of crap. So sorry. <laughs> I cannot wait to hear it. It's going to be so amazing. Well, right now I'm talking about my number two film of the year, which was Attack the Block. You have any words you want to share about that film? I loved it. Um, uh, let's see. I enjoyed I enjoyed the film immensely. They had a lot of them. Um, lead up to the film as essentially you can understand any of the words that the kids were saying but i understood it fine and it reminded me a lot of the wire and like 80 sci-fi movies so i thought it was a lot of fun it did make my my list i believe it was my number three yes fantastic yeah uh yeah attack yeah. the block yeah i absolutely just love this movie i the the soundtrack is fantastic i listened to that i think the according to my itunes plays i believe i've listened to the attack the block soundtrack and the Hannah soundtrack, but the man of the attack, the block soundtrack the most this year. And what, what really gets me among the things that really get me is the aliens in this movie. I can't remember what a lot of other aliens look like in their alien movies specifically, but attack the block has memorable aliens in it. And And they're creative. They are very creative. And the way they're made practically with like a little bit of digital alteration, just to like make it just, just have that extra little bit of something, which you could really completely understand when you see the movie it's fantastic. It's really cool, really creative. You have this cast of kids that are like, 
they feel completely authentic and just just fit right into this this world that's created. It's, it has this great kind of color palette that gives it this kind of comic book look to it, which is really interesting. And I keep picking up on more and more things every time I watch the film. And it's it's just quickly paced, just kind of comes at like ninety minutes barely. It's so much fun, and it even has like some little bits of social commentary going on in there. It's really cool. It like it manages to inject little moments that just work well into this film. That's already just trying to be really entertaining, but just has a little bit more to say as well. Just yeah, I absolutely love Attack the Block. Yeah, let's see. I guess we're getting to our number one films of the years, guys. Whoa. So, Oh, oh, yeah. You gotta be uh, careful. Adam, what is yes, your sir. number one film of the year? We live in an age of small-minded cinema, I think, where, where a lot of filmmakers make small films about so-and-so meeting so-and-so, doing this and that, talking about such and such. And it's so rare anymore that you have a filmmaker, I think, that really takes risks and really goes to the level that I, that my number one film of 2011 did. Um, yeah, I think years ago, back in, say, we say like, you know, the sixties or whatever, it would have been a lot easier to find a filmmaker that could have made a film that really tried to encompass the whole of human existence in one single film, one single narrative. And I think as time has gone by, the number of people who could try to do that much less succeed has gone further and further down and no film in 2011 was as ambitious as Terrence Malick's The Tree of Life and for me that's my number one film I think the the performances are great Hunter McCracken uh, remember the name turns in one of the finest child performances I've seen Brad Pitt turns in one of his finest finest performances and I think it's astounding in the way that Malick takes one small family in Waco Texas in the 1950s and finds a way to juxtapose that versus the life and death of the universe. I mean, it's not a, it's not a perfect film. Um, it's it, it's got some flaws here and there, but I remember walking out of the theater and just I, I drove home in silence, which is very rare for me. I just I could not wait to get to my computer and start writing and try to process my emotions about about uh, this particular film. So again. I think it, it says a heck of a lot for any filmmaker to make a, to, to try, much less succeed, in making a film um, about such a lofty topic. And I, I've got to give Terry a big kudos for this one. So, yeah, my number one is Street Life. I was very tempted to just cheat heavily and just tie Another Earth, Melancholia, and Tree of Life all into just one big tie because it was, it was neat to see three different films like this kind of tackle life in a way and tree of life definitely you know goes over just encapsulates life it has the meaning and what life is in the beginning and all that it's fascinating to watch that movie and definitely the lock for best cinematography of the year this movie is absolutely mm-hmm. beautiful to watch oh Chivo my God. Is incredible uh, the way the camera swoops and swirls and I, it's, it's remarkable and i love too the, the rhythm of the film because you know terry mal like a lot of times you know look i mean he he find these gorgeous images, but I mean, gosh, how long can you look at a leaf? Um, but fortunately, in this one, I, I felt like he was able to kind of hold himself back a little bit, and it, the rhythm is just fantastic. It's almost like jazz, if you will. I really like that movie. I think I need to see it more, because I'll probably end up loving it. I, but it does have uh, imperfections, but even those are... The movie's still beautiful and poetic, and even the imperfections are the same. They're just beautiful mistakes. 
but that movie was just kind of it's not it's not even a movie or a film it's just kind of I can't even describe that movie that's just it was beautiful and I want to watch it again I love watching it on um on HD it just it looks really pretty I just really like that movie and I like most of Malick's movies but I think this is the strongest one he's done in a long time Mark what is your number one movie of the year so I'm very proud to announce this and it's kind of cool because I don't think any no one has even mentioned this film yet and I don't think it's a, a, a particularly strange choice given what I've heard but my favorite film is The Artist was the silent film that came out this year from French director Michel Hazanavicious. Yep. I don't know if I said that right but anyway um, and it was sort of this sort of valentine if you will love letter to old Hollywood about silent films and the transition from silent films into talkies and one man sort of resistance to that and his uh, journey and then also uh, as it's profiled through another woman who uh, becomes uh, is also an actress and kind of what happens to their their uh, careers and it's just a perfect combination of you know music and photography and and a story and it was emotionally affecting um i was emotionally invested through the whole film i, I it just it it's one of the reasons why i love film um is is like what this movie represents and and what it uh, it did and uh i just i loved it i just thought um everything about it uh you know i don't know it, it for me it was just for me it was far and away the 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 most I don't know extraordinary circ- uh, experience that I had uh, at the at the theater, and I had many. I mean, there were definitely many films that I walked out of, you know, feeling like, "Wow, that was really a good film," but probably none more so than this one. I love that movie. It was in my actually, uh, I think it was in my top five. Yeah, it's your, least, it's your number four. Yeah. I love the dance number at the end. There's a big dance, elaborate number, and that just that one. That was the one movie this year where I kind of remember smiling throughout the entire thing because of how much I loved it. I don't know, we had this big, I know Aaron and I and everybody, we had this big long discussion, but I really, really enjoyed that movie and everything you're saying, Mark, I believe. Um, I do think that a lot of the, I think there's a specific niche market that's really going to love that movie. But other than that, I don't I don't think it's, it's going to be a hard sell for a lot of the American public. Uh, I know some of my coworkers have no interest in seeing it, even though I've been telling them to go. I felt, all, I, I felt the like for that movie, but I just, I didn't feel the love. I think it has some issues that are kind of being overlooked. And it was actually a really good uh, review of the film done by What the Flick, which is a show on, on YouTube on the Young Turks Network. Um, and some of the critics really got into it, and I really thought they encapsulated it well. But I just, I mean, I like the film, but I feel, you know, if it's technically, it's I think it's definitely one of the finest films of the year. But as far as the story goes, I just didn't connect with it on the level that that, that a lot of people that I know did. But... But still solid, though. So, Abe. Yeah. <laughs> Sound like Alan now. <laughs> I want. I want to throw. I want to mix it up. Oh, that's cool. Abe, what is your number one movie of the year? My number one film of the year, and it probably comes as a surprise, is because uh, I've said it before, is Midnight in Paris. Um, it is a subtle movie with a friendly cast, like what we said before. Um, I think that the suspension of disbelief is. I never even thought to suspend my disbelief. I was just like, oh, there's a taxi with some weird people. I guess I'll just go in it, too. And uh, I think that Adam brought up a, a good point about the rose-colored glasses thing. Is I think that the, the film is written in such a way that it's pretty clever that the 
main character comes to grips with the the kind of the crisis that he's facing, which is he's trying to live in a time that's not his, and then all of a sudden he comes to the realization and the answer himself later in the film, which is an interesting take on things. Uh, and again, it was just really fun. I liked all the the literary and you know artistic characters that they have in there, and I especially like uh, our friend who won for what did he win for Aaron? He's been nominated for independent oh, independent, or he is nominated. I guess he didn't win yet, but yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I really. It's, just nice, it's nice to see that specific character getting recognition. Yeah, agreed. So yeah, uh, Midnight in Paris, my number one movie of the year. Alan, you you and me could just go together on this one because we both have Drive as our number one movie of the year. Um, did you want to? Do you want me to talk about it? You can you talk about it. it. Sure. Well, I love this movie. This is one of the few films I actually saw twice this year, and I usually see a lot of them. I just was really busy, and I was like, you know what? I want to watch Drive again. Um, from the soundtrack to the cinematography to the casting to the direction to everything, this film um, just kind of engrossed me in it. I I, I always like the movies that kind of you have an unnamed um, lead, and you kind of just go with it. It. And I thought that Ryan Gosling actually turned in a really good performance, and I think he had a really good year this year with with a lot of the stuff that's happening with him. Um, but just the way the film looked, and I was a big fan of uh, Nicholas's other movie, Bronson, and I was a big fan of that. So I was really, I still haven't had a chance to see Valhalla Rising, but I was I was really really hyped to see Drive, and I was really happy he won Best Director and all these other all these all these other accolades that the movie was getting. So when it finally came out, I finally watched it, and uh, from the opening um, opening note for Night Moves, I was just I was just into the movie. I kind of just love it, and I cannot wait for like I think it comes out like two or three weeks on Blu-ray. Yeah, January. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm stoked. Um, I want his jacket. <laughs> I heard he has thirteen of them, and I want I want to get a legit one. If not, I want to get the knockoff hoodie that they're selling out there. Um, <laughs> Yeah, everything in this movie, I just, I just really, really liked it. And it's one of the few movies where, even after I first saw it, I wasn't sure how much I liked it. But it's, I've thought about that movie every day this year. Yeah, I, I agree. It's like one of those films you like. After you see it, you kind of think, like, "Wow, that was really good." And the, mm -hmm. the, the, the rhythms of the film kind of like sort of sit in your mind, and they kind of ruminate, and it, it's really well done. So I totally agree. Yeah, I, uh, as it's my number one film as well, I completely agree, and I'll do you one better than seeing it twice. I saw it twice in two days. I saw that movie one <laughs> night, then the next night I was like, I'm going to go see this movie again because it was utterly amazing, and so I did, and I saw it the second time in a row. And yeah, everything about this movie just came together so well for me. It's so, it's it's, it's definitely one of the coolest movies of the year, that's oh, for yeah. sure. Like, it, there's... Anyway, you've said most of these things. So I'm just going to go into other things. Brian Cranston is awesome in this movie. Albert Brooks is awesome in this movie. Albert Brooks is amazing in oh this movie. Oh, my God. Who would think that Albert Brooks would play the most intimidating Jewish gangster of the year? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you mean that, that role doesn't go to you? Oh. <laughs> I, was the most Jewish, I was the most intense Jewish gangster of 2007. Ah. But that, that's regardless. Uh, yeah, Albert yeah, Brooks. Yeah, how, how is Albert Brooks more intimidating than Ron Perlman? How is Albert Brooks more intimidating than The Rock? Like, it's... it's just, well, The Rock isn't Jewish. Yeah. Oh, good point. Are you sure? Unnecessary question mark on that one. But, um, yeah. yeah, no, the, 
this movie is so much fun to watch. It's so cool. Like it has just like the, the small action beats that it has when it gets there. It gets crazy intense. The elevator scene alone is one of the best one scenes of the year. Yes. The, great music the, during that scene too. I remember it. Great music during that scene. The way that whole scene staged. This is just one little like three minute sequence too. This is like, that's already like one of the best films of the year. And then you have a whole rest of this movie to talk about. It's so much fun. It's so <laughs> cool. It's so what every first. It's funny. Every burst of violence in that film is beautiful. Yeah, and you feel it. It it's not an it's a violent film, but only in those scenes because the rest of the film is very slow and very meditative, and it's just it's just beautiful. It's I love it. Oh, it's so good. I want to watch it right now. Also, side note: one of the coolest things I've ever done in my life is listening to that soundtrack while I'm showing clients in my car. It's amazing. <laughs> I, I felt that was like the coolest thing I've ever done, and they had no idea why I was smiling the entire time. Anyway, I really like the relationship between uh, Ryan Gosling and Carey Mulligan in that movie. It's it's so charming and so sweet and believable, and and even though they're like there are very clear reasons why like they can't be together, I, it's I, I thought it was really really effective. That yeah, I agree with that. There, that's it's one of the better romances of the year as well. Like it, it, this movie. Whoa, whoa, so whoa, whoa! Things. We're we're I we're alienating all of our Twilight fans here. <laughs> There's so many. Uh, that that romance is over. They got married. It's, it's boring. There. <laughs> the greatest thing is that the story it it doesn't it's so like it's it's completely been done many times, many many times. It's not original at all, but somehow there's just life inserted into it. It's just so it's just just breathy. It's just well well done. Well, right. honestly, the biggest problem I have with the movie is that it's not more like the Fast and Furious films. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, okay. That? So that's our that's our that's our top ten list um, from everybody, for most people. <laughs> that's our those are our top <laughs> films of the year. Um, I've kind of divvied up the um, kind of the lists here to just kind of give an, an overall top list, an overall top kind of three list for this podcast in general. And just kind of I guess since you guys are pretty, you're mostly the most recurring guests on here. We're, we're missing uh, Jordan, who unfortunately couldn't make it tonight. But uh, you know, I've I've kind of tallied some of these votes. And it looks like, if I'm reading this correctly, it looks like um, looks like Midnight in Paris would be our number three film. Attack the Block would be our number two film, and Drive would be our number one film. I am totally okay with all that. So you're saying I, I have to... to watch Midnight in Paris? Yeah, you haven't seen it. I just bought it today. Do so we want to go over some honorable mentions that we have? Go with the Dragon Tattoo. Probably go on the honorable mentions list. Um, Cowboys and Aliens would go on the honorable mentions list just for being sheer fun. I really liked that one. Um, Which one again? Uh, Cowboys and Aliens. The only other honorable mention that I really want to give is uh, The Kid with a Bike. The Dodan yeah, Brothers film. That, that one's very strong. Very strong indeed. And, you know, it, who knows? Depending upon when it's released, it might end up on some best of list for next year. Who knows? Uh, Abe, any honorable mentions? Yeah, honorable mentions are um, Paranormal Activity 3, which I had a lot of fun with, and Moneyball. I uh, co-signed the Moneyball honorable mention. Uh, I also Rise of the Planet of the Apes, Hide the March, and um, Hugo. I want to mention this is kind of a little obscure movie, but there was a movie that Vera Farmiga did called Higher Ground. It was a movie about a fundamentalist Christian, uh, kind of, and her faith and like how it changes. And it's really like a tough sell at the at the box office. It's definitely not, wasn't a big hit or anything, but really well. She Vera Farmiga actually directed it and she starred in it. And it really, I mean, her performance in this is even better than Up in the Air. And it was kind of a really sort of interesting film. So that, that I like that quite a bit. And I haven't seen that get very much love. 
Um, I also liked, and this was just kind of a popcorn movie, but I really liked Limitless at the beginning of the year. I don't hear much, many people mentioning that film anymore, but I, I actually thought Limitless was really fun, and I actually enjoyed that film quite a bit. And I'll also mention, since no one uh, talked about it at all on this podcast, but it has gotten a bit of uh, acclaim, is uh, War Horse uh, by Steven Spielberg. I thought it was actually um, a really emotionally affecting film. Um, it is very manipulative and, and kind of, it can be a little corny, but... I thought it was it was well done, and Steven Spielberg um, is kind of at the top of his form, I think, in terms of his like emotion. I have a lot of honorable mentions, and I'll just leave it to you can you can go to whiteblue.com or my blog, thecodezeke.com, to get all of them. But I have an 11 through 20 that I'll just kind of read off. Uh, 13 Assassins, 5050, The Artist, Insidious, I Saw the Devil, Kung Fu Panda 2, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, The Skin I Live in, The Tree of Life, and Win Win with Paul Giamatti, a movie that I really really enjoyed as well. Fun Giamatti. Any other shout-outs we want to give to the films of 2011 in particular? Uh, yes. Oogie in The Artist. Probably the best performance of the year. That dog was amazing. Mm-hmm. What? Better than... Wait, what's his face in Tintin? Snowy? Snowy? I know, I'm serious. I mean, compared to any performance, you know, human or canine. I mean, it's What about the fantastic. dolphin in A Dolphin Tale? I have to review that Blu-ray this week. That was... He was pretty good. <laughs> There's a sincerity in Mark's yeah, voice no, just that made it all yeah. worth it. I was like, wow, that, that's very... So I wasn't kidding, man. Oogie's yeah. awesome. Did we did we talk about trailers at all? As in, like, the best trailers you've seen this oh. year? Oh, that's a good one. Here, here, do you have some in mind? Uh, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. The first one, the teaser with the Karen O. Immigrant song. I loved it. I thought it was awesome. I was like, oh, I need to see this movie. And I also liked the uh, Harry Potter uh, Part 2 trailer. I thought that was a really well-done trailer. For, uh, for movies that apply to this year, opposed to yeah. previous movies for next year. But this year, uh, the Tree of Life trailer, beautiful. That was a film in itself. And the, the Artist trailer, that move, that one just got me. And I saw The Devil actually has an amazing trailer, too. I haven't seen the last two. I'm going like, to, I saw them as movies. No, the, the Tree of Life trailer was just, I mean, it made, it excited me so much. It's, it's gorgeous. Actually, the, the X-Men First Class trailer, I remember, was quite I, I quite enjoyed. That was a good trailer. Yeah, I can give a shout-out. My... I don't know if it's my favorite poster of the year, but I really love the Midnight in Paris poster. I think that does everything that's to capture one. the film. That is a really nice poster. That's I think that's what catches my eye on that movie. It does It does a lot with a fairly, fairly simple idea. I, I really like that poster a lot. Um, and not just because I get to look at them every single day above my desk, but the Tyrannosaur poster and the Artist poster are both fantastic. Mm. Oh, there's another question. Um, what... Um, what uh, movies did you did you would you have wished you had seen before the end of the year, which applies more to us that actually had top ten lists to fill out completely? But I had a big list of stuff I had to watch. I wanted to watch Descendants, Take Shelter, uh, Martha, Martha Mercy, May Marlene, or uh, yep. you got it. I had a whole bunch of like I don't even know the title of that name, movie, but I wanted to watch it. Um, yeah, I just had a big list of stuff I had to catch and I didn't get a chance to. Word. Right. I want to watch my week with Marilyn. Haven't want to watch a war horse. Haven't Tintin. Haven't. I'm busy during the holidays. And yet you were still able to make a whole top ten list. I'm very easy to please, Aaron. <laughs> no, I just. I mean, I'm just impressed that you were able to miss some of these movies. Yet you still had ten to list on a list. I did. I did. 
And I, I was uncomfortable with some, but I did it anyway. <laughs> because you asked me you asked me for a favor, and I was like, you know what? I'm not going to let Aaron down. I'm going to give him ten movies. I need to, um, to share again that my favorite performances of this year come from the movie Take Shelter with Michael Shannon and Jessica Chastain. I absolutely... I want to see this. I, I, think the, I think especially Michael Shannon. Well, no, both of them. I, those are my absolute favorite. And that's not even on my top ten list of movies. It's, it's a special mention, but I just... If there's... Those, if there's a most valuable player for actress this year, I think it's got to go to Jessica, Jessica Chastain. I mean, oh, yeah. she was she was like in a ton of movies and well, really out of anybody, actually male or female, really. Second would of course be Michael Fassbender, and third would of course be Michael <laughs> Fassbender's penis. <laughs> oh, um, I really like Paul Rudd and our idiot brother. I know it's kind of his same shtick, but I kind of just. I, just I don't know. I like it kind of. Th- yeah, I like Paul I like Rudd in general. I think it, I think it, I, like I know Paul Rudd. I really liked our idiot brother. I think actually, actually Alan. I'm I'm totally with you on that. Actually, our idiot brother was my number twenty-one favorite, so I didn't it didn't end up in my uh, my honorable mentions or, or my top ten. But I thought our idiot brother was really good. It's really and, and I, good I watched yeah I watched it on Christmas again just because I wanted to. Out of all the movies I haven't seen that I own, I watched our idiot brother because I really want to watch it. You want to know a movie I watched on Christmas Eve? Love it's Christmas Carol. <laughs> Mimic. Mimic? <laughs> hey, I was man. combining Christmas and Hanukkah, and Mimic was apparently the answer. <laughs> Who has a wor- What's everyone's worst film of the year? Uh, Cowboys and Alien was the most disappointing movie of the year. Agreed. Other than that, probably Green Lantern. My worst of the year was that um, that horrible, horrible uh, Twilight Saga, Breaking Dawn, Part 1. Just just wretched. There was nothing redeem- redeeming in that film. And I oh, actually didn't care. I did, I did see that. Yeah. Mine is uh, Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. Really disappointed. Kind of really a that crappy was movie. Yeah, that wasn't good. Yeah. That was a really fun podcast. I'm yeah, like, that was the one where Adam came out without having seen the movie just because we needed a guest. <laughs> <laughs> I was the Michael Clayton of that episode. <laughs> <laughs> My, I, I make it a point to not pay good money for bad cinema, so I'm kind of like Alan. I try not to go see something if I don't think I'm going to like it. But for me, the biggest disappointment of the year was Cars 2. Ooh. I was Aww. so so disappointed I, I love the first film so much but it, when you couple that too with a truly terrible screening environment oh it was just sadness inducing i actually put that in some kind of a surprise even though i don't have like a surprise list just because i just don't care i mean car i think cars is all right so i wasn't like looking forward to cars too but i was surprised that i liked it more than cars one my uh, worst film is, of course, Larry Crown, the, um, the Tom Hanks <laughs> debacle that happened. I forgot um, that movie ever existed. Oh my God, Larry Crown! It's 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 such a it's such a bad movie, and it's it's weird just because Tom Hanks directed this. Like this is the movie he was like, you know what? I'm gonna get back behind the chair and do this. And I love that thing you do, his directorial debut, and the only the only movie he directed before this. And God, it's just awful it's just an awful movie and julia roberts looks like she's having a terrible time i won't be surprised if she gets her razzie here before she gets her you know her predicted <laughs> razzie for mirror mirror next year that i've taken notes of for for mark to keep track of oh it's gonna happen yeah but i really believe that with every fiber of my being <laughs> but yeah larry crown is it's just so so bad it's just such don't see this ever please hey <laughs> <laughs> i'm surprised you didn't mention priest by the way that's another I, I think i just forgot all about that one yeah yeah like, priest yeah. all right so uh okay i guess uh next week we're gonna talk about um warhorse is our plan and um we still have some more bonus shows that I, i've recorded with some other guests so those will eventually make their way too i'm not you know it's hard to tell when some of these will come out just 
based on our hectic holiday schedules but all that's going to end so in the, in the coming weeks we'll get back to like a normal schedule but yeah warhorse should be our next film review regular episode that we do so you know cool for that but uh, until then, that's going to do it this week for Out Now with Aaron and Abe. You can find more of my work on my personal blog, thecodezeek.com, where you can find all my written reviews, as well as at whysolu.com, where you can find Blu-ray reviews and, uh, well, all the top ten lists for me and the guys over there. Um, you can also find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Aaron's PS3. Abe? Uh, you can find more of my work at walrusmoose.blogspot.com, twoanimalswalrusmoose.blogspot.com, and twitter.com slash walrusmoose. Uh, Mark? You can find more of my work at fastfilmreviews.wordpress.com. That's fastfilmreviews, all one word. And then I'm also on twitter.com uh, backslash mark underscore hoban. Uh, um, let's see, Alan unfortunately dropped out, but you know you can find him at Twitter at MrDVD. Uh, Adam? You can find me in writing at moviesmackdown.com. At things I know about the movies, which is located at www.everythingyoualwayswantedtoknow.blogspot.com and at twitter.com slash iltwinanarchist. Great. And, um, yeah, you can find all our episodes about now, Aaron and Abe, on iTunes. You can find all the episodes there. You can also find all the episodes on hhwlod.com, where you can find our show as well as other shows like The Walking Dead TV Podcast and Legion of Dudes and other shows like that that are all about comics and movies and TV and stuff. They're all pretty fun a lot of cool guys over there you can also find um, most of our episodes and a few exclusives at outnow.podomatic.com you can also email us at outnowpodcast at gmail.com where you can take Abe to task with telling him what a top 10 list actually is and also compliment our guests for coming on and staying on for such a long time to talk about the top 10 films of 2011 and of course you can like our page at facebook.com slash outnowpodcast where we'll have all our updates and what have you to you know keep you excited for getting more and more content from out now um, but yeah, until next week, um, that's going to do it. So, you know, thanks for listening, everybody that stuck with us this far. This was a fun, fun episode to, you know, do and recap all the films. So, thanks, guys, for coming on again. Thanks for having thanks us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, listeners, Happy New Year. Yes, Happy New Year's. And, uh, yeah, until next time, bye, bye-bye. Bye, guys. Who would think that Albert Brooks would play the most intimidating Jewish gangster of the year? <laughs> <laughs>